Hey everybody, welcome to This Good Word, episode two. My name's Steve Weens, and today's word is tension. Yes, and I can just imagine, I can almost see the brows furrowing, the gut clenching, the face grimacing, because tension is usually not something we like to talk about. It's not something we like to acknowledge. It's something we try to alleviate with every fiber of our being. We run from it. We, uh, we try everything to pretend sometimes that it's not there, but there it is. And I'm not talking about the kind of tension that like is in your shoulders that you're just carrying around forever. I'm also not talking about the kind of tension that you're living with for years and years and years. That can get unhealthy and that can lead to all kinds of uh, health problems. What I am talking about are those momentary conversations or things that happen to you that are uncomfortable and that launch you into the question of do I need to allow this to stretch me so that I can become even more of a person with expanded capacity for life and for relationships. Uh, The definition of the word tension that I'm going to use here as a verb means to apply a force to something that tends to stretch it. To apply a force to something that tends to stretch it. And so we're going to talk about entering into moments of tension and learning to hold it so that we might be stretched And I think this is another way of reclaiming what is beautiful and sacred and holy about our messy humanity, including all these moments of tension where we learn to perhaps grow because of something hard. But before we do that, some thanks are in order. You guys, we launched this new podcast. I launched this new podcast and you listened. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so kind of amazed that uh, that that a bunch of you picked up what I put down. So I want to say thanks. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for tuning back in to episode two. Uh, I got so many great pictures of dust and breath. Steph painted a picture with Hebrew words dust and life and breath, and it was so cool to see. Uh, Michael took his finger and he wrote the word breath in this dusty, like, cabinet place that looked so cool, shared it on Instagram. Irene, my friend from the UK, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Like we're like social media friends. Is it Irim? Is it Irene? But she is this brilliant uh, person that sent me a picture of her and her daughter sitting at the table. Uh, And she said, you know, dust and breath is not at the table, but it's invisible. Dust and breath is invisible here in the love that I have for my daughter. So cool. So thanks for tuning in, you guys. Thanks for posting and sharing on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and also a huge shout out to the friends in Belize that tuned in. I mean, yes, Belize. Yes, uh, to the friends in Canada that tuned in, uh, to the friends in the UK, 
and Australia and New Zealand and Israel. And I'm sorry for the way that I butchered the Hebrew language, I'm sure. Please send me uh, a better way to pronounce those Hebrew phrases, my friends in Israel. And also to my friends in Dubai, Chris and Natalie. Yes, the United Arab Emirates are in the house when it comes to this Good Word podcast. (laughs) Yes, awesome. Uh, I know where you live. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, So, uh, and, and, and please, you know, let's let's share together. Let's be online together. Let's do social media together. And if you do, do that on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or wherever else. Use the hashtag, This Good Word Podcast. And then we just can all be in the same conversation. And I can reply and I can see. And feel free, of course, to email me at steve at steveweens.com. Okay, so let's dive into today's word. Without further delay, what do you do with tension? Maybe someone confronts you. Maybe you have to confront somebody. Uh, maybe something happens in your life that turns your world upside down uh, and you don't know what to do with it. It causes uncertainty. It causes anxiety. What do you do with tension? Do you carry around like a hundred pound backpack and uh, you know, just it's like every step is a painful experience, but you're going to lug that thing around because you have to? Or do you immediately try to alleviate it? Do you pop a pill or pour a drink or just do you throw that backpack off? Do you do you try to come against any feeling of uncertainty and you just give in and alleviate? Do you ignore it? Is it just so normal to experience uh, levels of anxiety that you're just going to ignore it? Or do you run from it? I think most of us do maybe all of the above given the level of tension that exists and how long it is that we are called upon to hold it. But what I want to talk about today is what if you allowed it to stretch you? What if you befriended tension just for a little while? What could happen if you, like a rubber band, allowed yourself to stretch it and to be stretched so that something new might be born. I remember in high school, 11th grade, I went to Centennial High School in Circle Pines, Minnesota. Big shout out to my Centennial friends. Uh, Jenny Voigtlander, I got an email from you this last week. So great. Not sure if anyone else is listening from Centennial, but Centennial High School, class of 1989. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I was in a class called Creative Writing with Mr. Errett, and in the middle of the term, instead of kind of mailing out the midterm grades, he would call every student up to his desk, he would cover all the other grades up from all the other students, and he would show you what you were getting in on midterm. And you guys, I was a really bad student. I mean, I don't, I think I was a smart person, but uh, it seemed like every kind of way that the educational system uh, measured smartness or intelligence. I was a different kind of smart. And maybe that's just my nice way of saying I was really pretty dumb, but I, but I think I was smart in a different way. Um, I, I was not dumb, but I, I, I did not do well in school. B's, C's, D's. Uh, I think I tried as hard as I knew how to try, uh, except for when I didn't try hard, but I just didn't get very good grades. So Mr. Eric called me up to his desk. I went up there and he showed me my grade. And it was a B, you know, and I thought, man, B, that's awesome. That's above average. That's good. That's fine. I like it. That's good. I mean, yes to the B. I mean, I will take the B. Uh, But then he asked me this question. He said, uh, 
Uh, are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with that? And for the first time, I wasn't. I was like, I don't know. And he goes, you know, I think if you really tried, you have the talent to get an A. And I remember walking back to my desk, and it was like for the first time a teacher challenged me and believed in me, but I had to sit in this tension of like, what if, I mean, could I really do it? And so I remember pouring myself into these stories and, uh, you know, I mean, I love writing now and that was just the beginning. And so, but I remember writing the story of this football player named Johnny Devereaux. <laughs> I mean, isn't that great? Johnny Devereaux, you know, he was this stud, but had to overcome difficulties and, you know, I think really that's probably where uh, Friday Night Lights really was inspired by was someone got a hold of my little short story called Johnny Devereaux and, you know, Jason Street, uh, the rest is history. But um, I remember, uh, so I remember writing and trying hard and, and reaching down into me to see if I had what it took to get an A. And at the end of the semester, you guys, I got my A, right? And, um, and, you know, almost 30 years later, here I am. And words are such a big, important part of my life. So thank you, Mr. Eret, for allowing me to sit in the tension. I also remember another time in 10th grade, and uh, I lived in Belgium, actually, when I was in 10th grade from 83 to 88. I lived in Waterloo, Belgium, went to St. John's International School. And uh, one the spring of my uh, sophomore year, we went to Spain on a baseball spring training trip. And, you know, when I say spring training trip, it, it really, we played softball with a bunch of expats that, you know, lived in Spain. We, we, and we did some practice. We didn't play that many games because there really wasn't, you know, it's like there wasn't this booming, burgeoning baseball metropolis in the place where we went. But it was sunny and it was fun. And, uh, but, you know, the kind of the culture there was high trust for students. And that really was probably not a good idea for American kids a bunch of American kids who were there, and we ended up getting into massive amounts of trouble in this hotel room that we were staying in. Uh, suffice it to say, we got very drunk, and the hotel manager came, this was in the morning, and alerted our coach, Coach Davis, who is still there, by the way, Dennis Davis, uh, one of my big heroes. But Coach D uh, burst into our room, and I remember him, he was so mad, and he looked at the three of us, who happened to be his three captains, and he said, I don't care if I ever see Steve Weens, Gary Butsko, or Ken Sultani ever again. You guys are out of here. And Ken and Gary, I'm sorry if I just blew your cover to your parents. You know, it's like maybe if they didn't know what you did in 10th grade. Uh, I somehow don't think so. But uh, Ken and Gary, if you are listening, I mean, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, we kind of got stone cold sober right after that moment. And I remember going back into Coach Davis's office and I was like, Coach D, not his office, his hotel room. And I said, Coach, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I can't believe we did that. Please forgive us. Please don't send us home. And I remember him, his face kind of got soft. And he goes, Steve, I, I just need to tell you, you know, for the last eight or nine months or so, really for this whole school year, like, I don't know who you are you have become a different person and not in a good way. And I'm just waiting for the real Steve Weens to show up again. 
And I remember even in sort of the, you know, the drunken fog, uh, feeling like, you know, I, I can, I could run from that. I could say that coach Davis was an idiot or I could let it in and let the tension of that moment come in and ask myself questions, man, who have I become, uh, over, over those last year? And, and am I willing to change it? And uh, that was another big moment. And I kind of did an about face, uh, at that moment and kind of pulled my life back around at least as much as a 16 year old could. Uh, so the question again is what are you going to do with tension when it hits you like this, these moments where you're invited to stretch and grow and become, are you going to carry it around and lug it around and not do anything with it? Are you going to try to alleviate it and run from it, maybe ignore it? Or are you going to learn to live with it? Are you going to learn to let it stretch you? Are you going to learn to let it grow something new in you? There's this phenomenon in nature called an ecotone. And an ecotone is a transition area between two adjacent ecological communities. It's that sort of a threshold space where ocean meets sand, where forest meets meadow. And along the ecotone, new life springs up right at the point where the two ecological communities meet, where ocean meets sand, where forest meets meadow. And ecotone comes from these two words, eco, it's where we get our word ecology, but tonos is the Greek word for tension. So the idea of this actually happens in nature, something new comes out of tension. Something new is born, a beginning is born in these in-between places. And Terry Tempest Williams, she's sort of the expert on ecotone. She's a naturalist and she's written a bunch of stuff. Krista Tippett interviewed her on her great podcast on being. And Terry Tempest Williams says this about ecotones. She says, as a naturalist, my favorite places to be are along the ecotone. It's where it's most alive. It's usually the edge of a forest and meadow, the ocean and the sand. It's that interface between peace and chaos. It's that creative edge that we find most instructive. It's also the most frightening because it's completely uncertain and unpredictable. And again, that's where I choose to live. It's frightening. It's unpredictable. It's chaotic. But that's where I choose to live because that's where something new can be born. Right? I mean, that is good. Richard Rohr, one of my favorite authors, calls these in-between places, these moments of tension, these threshold spaces. He calls them liminal spaces. Liminal spaces. And he writes this, a liminal space is unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. It is when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It is when you're finally out of the way. It's when you're between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. And if you're not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, then you will run. Anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. Wow, right? What do you do with liminal spaces? What do you do with anxiety? What do you do with tension? Will you allow it to stretch you so that you can become more and so that the world can become more expansive?
there's this story in the New Testament, and there's this man named Saul, this uh, Pharisee who is just the rising star of Judaism, and he is interacting with his old tried and true religion of Judaism, which is thousands and thousands of years old. And he's interacting with these new followers of Jesus. They call themselves the way. And these followers of Jesus have taken the best about what Judaism has to offer, but they have believed that there is this new Messiah, that the Messiah has come, that he died, that he rose again, and they're starting to carve out a new way of being. And Saul is believing in God. He's following God, but he believes that this new way of being is absolutely against what God wants. And so he's dragging people to prison. He's executing people, and it is massive. And he's going to Damascus, the city, to do more of the same, more executing, more dragging people into prison. And he has this moment where a blinding flash of light comes and knocks him to the ground. And this booming voice uh, comes from God saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, his entire life flashes before his eyes. He's blinded and he's kind of instructed just to go into the city and wait. So he's he is led by his companions. He goes to this house. And at the same time, God shows up in a vision. I don't know how this works, like a vision, a dream. I don't know what it is. But he shows up to this guy named Ananias. And the word comes to Ananias from God that says, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias will come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias, his first response, it's like, God, I mean, what do you mean this man named Saul? Everyone knows who Saul is. Everyone knows that he's the leader of ISIS. I mean, everyone knows he's public enemy number one. So don't come with me like this man named, there is a man named Saul from Tarsus. I know who he is. Is. And he, he says, this is crazy. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And uh, he has authority uh, to put into prison all who call on your name, God. But God said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Like, I mean, this massive moment where the old, the new is crashing into the old, where something that sounds impossible is about to be made possible. And Ananias is sitting with the tension of, will I go? And we don't know how long he sat with that tension. We don't know if he went and talked to someone else. We don't know if he thought, no way, there's no way. This is, I mean, but we do read that Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, God sent me to come so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Saul regained his sight and Saul became uh, the person that wrote most in the New Testament and the person that became uh, the most effective apostle at planting churches and spreading uh, the, the word that uh, there is a new created order inaugurated by this man named Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And it was all because a man named Ananias learned to hold tension and learned to wonder 
what might be stretched and grown in him and in the world if he learned to hold that liminal space, to live in that ecotone, to live with the uncertainty and the frightening chaos uh, of what might be. So what will you do with your tension? Maybe there's a decision about someone that you need to delay just for a little while longer. Just hold the tension just a little while longer. Yes, it's chaos. Yes, it's uncertain. Yes, it's scary. Maybe you need to hear some hard truth from someone and you've been uh, delaying the conversation. And kind of I say, you know, you can't, there is really no conflict avoidance. There's just conversation avoidance. Maybe you need to go into it with a humble spirit and hear something hard. Maybe you need to say something hard to someone. Uh, If you need to do that, I encourage you to do it with kindness. I encourage you to do it with humility, but do it with some clarity and strength and don't lose the power of what you have to say by too much uh, fumbling around with, you know, feeling like you have to say 10 nice things. Just go in and say the, the shortest, truest thing. Do it with kindness, do it with love. Maybe you have to delay a decision that you have to make about moving or about a theological issue. Maybe you just have to learn to hold the anxiety just a little bit longer so that something might be stretched in you or in someone else. I think something good can be born in you and in the world if you learn to stay in that liminal space, to stay in that ecotone, and to hold the tension. And it is hard to do this. Let me say that. It is hard to do this. There's a reason why we alleviate it and why we want to run and why we ignore it and why we carry it around for way too long because it's really, really hard to do. So props to anyone who has the courage to do this. But I do want to encourage you to do this. So maybe you want to walk around this week with a rubber band around your wrist as a way to remind you to live with the tension. Uh, That'd be cool. That'd be an interesting way just to kind of keep it with you. Uh, So I want to leave you with two things. Uh, One is what's blowing my mind. And so what's blowing my mind these days is uh, uh, a series of sermons that I've been listening to by uh, a guy named Micah Witham. He is the lead pastor of a church called Awaken Community in St. Paul, Minnesota. He also happens to be one of my best friends. Uh, But nonetheless, his sermons are inspiring. They are deep. They raise lots of questions. They don't give too many answers. They are expansive, and they're really, really good. So check it out. Awaken Community. Just Google that. Awaken Community in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then uh, find his podcast. You can get that on iTunes or on the website of Awaken Community. Uh, The last thing I want to do is I have written a manifesto for this good word, and I would like to share it with you. And as you listen to the words, what I want to encourage some of you that are artists to do is I'd love to see someone put this uh, in an artistic, beautiful format and then share it with us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Email me, steve at steveweens.com, but share it with us. Tag uh, me, Steve Weens, at any of those social media sites. Use the hashtag thisgoodwordpodcast. But Uh, Make something beautiful out of this manifesto. And uh, it's fun. I mean, because every every good podcast has to have a manifesto, right? So here we go. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy. 
and we are in this together. Amen. All right, everybody. Grace and peace, and we'll see you next Thursday.